Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery and I'm excited to have Alex Luzi, uh, who's a co-founder and CEO at Upflow, which is a B2B SaaS company helping companies around the world improve their invoice collection process. Prior to that, he was the head of international operations and business development at WeFirst. Alex Dunn is master in finance from the University of Melbourne. And a big thanks to Anto Chung from Lago for the introduction. Welcome to the show, Alex. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Raj. It's a pleasure to be here today. Awesome. So, uh, so you know, you, you, you built a great company called Upflow, uh, which is a B2B SaaS company. Um, how did you get into, into this crazy world of startups? Huh, that's a good question because... Actually, like when you, when I look at like people around me, like it's always been like a kind of a running joke for like a couple of years of, hey, Alex, when are you going to stop talking about jumping into this crazy world and actually do it? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I started my career in a very traditional environment. I work in a corporate uh, and investment banking and then in a telco company for like three years. And I've always been like, you know, the big, this big fan of like reading everything about TechCrunch and talking to a lot of friends in the startup environment. And I was kind of always like, I'll do it one day, but I didn't really have a proper like plan or anything. And, um, and I think, you know, at some point I just realized that there would be no good time to actually jump into this. And I was like, let's do it. It was the right time in my life. Uh, and, uh, and it was kind of an interesting uh, moment for me because I think that instead of trying to wait for the right moment, I just jumped into this and 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 embraced it. And at the beginning, to be honest, I had I didn't really have a plan, but that was part of the process of jumping into this. You know, just uh, jumping without a plan and spending the time to um, talk to people, think about ideas, meeting with other entrepreneurs, and it was a really productive time. So that, that's how it started. Got interesting. And you're also, you know, uh, head of business development at We First. Um, how did how did that opportunity come, and uh, what are some some of the learnings uh, working at We First? Yeah, it's um, it's actually interesting that you talk about this because it was a very very different environment. Uh, we First was a telco company, so we were selling uh, managed Wi-Fi services. So to be honest, like a super super far away from any uh, startup environment. And I think back at that time, it was kind of interesting because I was moving from investment banking and I wanted to go to the startup environment and I thought oh let me do this intermediary step where I'm going to be a little bit in a more like hands-on attitude but like not really in a in a startup environment yet um truth is that at that time I thought that I was an entrepreneur because I was a country opener so oh. it was basically like a French company and they decided to go like in other countries and I was like opening these new countries and I thought that, like, you know, I was running my own little company within the company. Um, the truth is that when you start your own company after, you realize that, you know, making sure that everyone can get paid at the end of the month and other things like this, like, <laughs> do you have a product, do you have a first customer, is actually much more of a struggle and a hassle than uh, just opening a country when you have a company behind you. So that's how I got there. Uh, it was a super, super interesting experience for me. Uh, but definitely like something super different from uh, building your own company. And we've been on that journey now for the last four years. So it's been, a, it's been an interesting journey. 
Interesting. And, you know, uh, there's a question I asked Anne as well, because they got into Y Combinator and, uh, and you know, uh, Upload is also part of uh, YC uh, uh, 2020 batch. Now, I think it's middle of the COVID that it happened, but how was the experience with Y Combinator and, uh, and what were some of your learnings over there? Yeah, Y Combinator has been for us a very, very, uh, you know, pivotal moment and key moment of our life in the in the journey of the company. So it happened at a moment in time when uh, we realized that distributing in, in Europe our product was maybe not like the best uh, the best thing to do for us. And we thought that going to YC would be just an entry point for us in the in the US market. Um, what was super interesting when we got there was the fact that and we've been super you know happy and honored to be be selected to be part of that program. But the reality is that we realized it was much more than only an entry point to the US market. And actually like a lot of people out there were coming from other parts of the world and would just leave after Y Combinator uh, without necessarily like a willingness to enter the US market, right? I think we've learned a lot at Y Combinator on a couple of things. One thing was I think was this idea of iterating super fast on the product and making sure that you actually build something people want. That's how they qualify. But I think a lot of times, like, and that was one of the mistakes we did at the beginning of our flow. Like, we were very focused on our product, but not necessarily very focused on what actually people wanted out of our products, if you see what I mean. So YC helped us, like, really, like, um, think about this retroactive loop in a matter of weeks, not in a matter of months or whatever. So that was super, super important. And I think the... The second thing we learned um, by being in YC is that, and we were the kind of last batch before COVID, right? So it was January to March 2020. So it was kind of the crazy moment. But the fact that both my co-founder and myself went for like three months renting a small flat in San Francisco and spent three months, 24 hours a day, only talking about a company. Oh, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that like it's a great experience because sometimes <laughs> you just get a little bit, uh, you know, it's a little bit too much. But it was such a key moment in like how we behave today and how we built like solid foundation for uh, the future of the company. That, that like it's something that we will never forget, even though it did not really end the way we expected because you know demo day was basically the moment where all like you know borders were closing down and the world was collapsing yeah. and stuff so it was a uh, there's a lot of stories about this but uh you know other than this because hopefully COVID's not come back uh, uh in the future um for other funders this is a big recommendation for me because for for them because it's a it's been really like a game changer for us in our journey out of flow oh very, very interesting but uh, did you did you get on to uh, do the demo day later on or was it oh was it, <laughs> it was it was you know like it was crazy because yc applied to themselves what they were telling us so basically they were changing things like as the situation would evolve right so at some point they say oh we're going to do demo day like uh uh, it's going to be like virtual. And then they said, no, there's not going to be any demo day. It's only going to be, we build a software to replace demo day and stuff. And so in the end, it was just like um, they created this big network where investors could actually connect with companies mm. uh, based on the presentation that we would make, but it was recorded. And um, it's been uh, kind of crazy because like we had many, many people reaching out. Uh, and we spent nearly like one month just right after demo day, just talking to investors and in this middle of the, the moment of the world where everyone was just like saying that this would be like 
the end of the world basically so it was a really really weird moment but um yes we did uh, a, a strange demo day but it was a demo day indeed <laughs> Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting, and uh, you, you know, you you've been part of uh, uh, investment banks as well as you you're part of WeFirst. But but what what was uh, why, why did you want to build Upflow? What was the problem that you uh, that you so wanted to solve? Yeah, so thank that that's a that's a great question. The the, the starting point for me was really like you know we talked about like getting into the startup world, and it right. was really like how do we apply things that we've seen in the kind of more traditional world. Uh, but with a more modern approach. And when I was working in investment banking, I used to work in uh, what we call structured finance. So we used to structure those big financings for very large companies. And I remember that like, you know, it was a very like slow process because it would take us like a lot of time to do this analysis. And I remember one thing was that we said, basically we have a threshold that we can't lend to companies that are doing less than 10 million in, in EBITDA just because if it goes smaller than this, then we can't really analyze properly what's going on. And it was quite interesting because I was looking at this and saying, well, we can't analyze because we don't have the data, but the data is there, it is somewhere. And originally what I wanted to do when I jumped into this kind of uh, startup environment was I've always been into like very interested about FinTech and I was trying to apply the financing principles that I had in my kind of like, financial background and and and, uh, and uh, you know studies but actually like applying it to smaller companies where we could leverage like more um like a fluid data that we could get on a on a day-to-day basis and there were a good example of that in the us that were not really existing in, in europe the truth is that fast forward um i spent six months trying to build a company working on financing for smes in europe and i started interviewing a lot of finance teams a lot of uh, CEOs and a lot of you know people that were in this environment, and I realized that oftentimes when people wanted to get some financing, the main reason why they wanted financing, short-term financing, is because they just couldn't get paid on time by their customers, and they needed the money to actually like finance their business, pay their bills, and stuff. And it struck me at some point to just take a step back and say, well. Why is that that we are still in, you know, at that time, 2018 or 2019, and it's still so hard for B2B companies to actually just collect the payment, right? right. And that's how, like, over time, we evolved around this idea that was a very uh, natural starting point for us. And that was later the starting point for Outflow to say, well, before financing these companies, let's first help them get paid. It doesn't seem that sexy or that crazy. But the reality is that it's a more, much more natural and pragmatical step, like first, and then we'll see if we finance it. And that was the beginning of Upflow. And you know, the interesting part is that as we start, as we started digging into this topic, and I'm happy to talk a little bit more about this, but we realized that it was much more complex and much deeper than what we anticipated in the first place, and. You know, four years later, we still haven't started doing the financing. And I can tell you that there's still a lot of things to be done on uh, B2B payments to help this company get paid. So, uh, you know, that's uh, it's been an interesting journey for us. Interesting. Uh, you're talking about B2B uh, payments. You know, so wh- why are the, you know, the current B2B payments so outdated? And is it is it across the, the world or is it, you know, specific to developing countries and uh, or some of the developed countries, you know, doing a better job on that? 
I'm, I'm glad you're asking, right? Because the truth is that when you talk to people around you, no one is really telling you that it's outdated, right? Like if you talk to experts, they will tell you, but if you sit down like next to a finance team in any B2B company, like a consulting firm, a you know construction company, or even a B2B tech company, right? They will tell you that's the way it is. They're not going to tell you it's outdated, right? Mm. And, and the truth is that you look at like all, and it's one of the key tenets of like what we're trying to do here at Outflow, and, but we're not the only one. Like it's a common trend around the professionals working in the space. But if you look at like all payment verticals, there is consumer, online, subscription, um, like even retail as well with Square, like all of them have been revolutionized in the last 10 years, right? 10 years ago, like when you would uh, go for a drink with your friends, you would exchange money with them with cash or maybe with a check or maybe with a wire transfer. And now you're probably using Venmo, right? Or PayPal or, or any new solution, right? And the thing is just like, if you look at this, like Square, you know, like uh, in the US, you're just going to use your phone to just touch the terminal and just pay and just go and you don't even know how it's working. But the truth is that in the B2B space, in the US, people are still using checks, you know, 40% of B2B transaction in checks, a piece of paper in an envelope, right? And the thing is that you say it's crazy, but they don't say it's crazy. They say that's the way it is, right? And you're not necessarily happy when you receive a check, but you're not going to, you know, just going to jump and say, what? I got a check, which is, which is actually insane. Yeah. And when you think about this a little bit deeper, like, you know, we can say, well, we don't use checks in Europe anymore uh, if you live in Europe. But the point is that receiving like a PDF in your mailbox, which is actually called an invoice, having to open it, copy pasting like all of the details into your banking interface and then wiring money 90 days later and stuff. If you think about it, this is total nonsense, right? When you think about the world in the world of API and you know you don't need to be like a crazy engineer to think about this, but in a world where everything is interconnected, um, receiving this money on your bank account and then manually matching it, it's just like this overall process is totally inefficient and it needs to be changed. So what is interesting is that it's a very, very slow moving space. Uh, there's a lot of different players, a lot of different like tools. There's a relationship as well between customers and, merch and vendors that is not helping at all. And so it's a slow moving thing, but it's definitely moving to a space where we say, well, in 10 years, it's quite unlikely that people are still using checks or wire transfers to actually like pay. And that's the vision we have with Outflow is not only like to solve how they manage their order to cash cycle today, but also bringing them into you know, like I'm sure you've read the book Crossing the Cast, but uh, we want to bring them to like the stage where we believe the world is going, uh, which is currently done by early adopters, but in the future it will be for everyone. So that's the positioning we have uh, with Outflow and, and why we're building it. Today, I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. Very interesting. And, uh, and you know, I, I, uh, especially when it comes to sales, you're always looking out to... Uh, you, you know, get the get the best of customers. But how did you get your your first big customer? Uh, you know, if you can talk a little bit about the story and you know how did you manage to get them? 
Yeah, I think it's um, it's 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 a great question, and I um, and first of all, like you know, I I I hope that for all funders or people that are listening to us today that they are pre-product and you know, like it still don't have any customer, like. I always remember those moments where you had your first paying customer and, you know, you have someone that trusts you to actually spend some money. Yeah. Um, and I would say that like the way we structured the product in the early days of Outflow uh, was not super scalable and we had people that would actually pay for it. But in the end, maybe like two years later or three years later, when we look at it, we said, well, this is, was not necessarily like the ideal customers that we would want. And the first big customers in which we had like really confidence that this would be like the right, uh, the right approach. We are uh, probably when we entered the US and when we started seeing like this kind of real um, fits between the product and the market. And um, I always remember this kind of uh, shift between the European mentality and the American mentality by buying software. Uh, and I always remember like this first big customer we had um, uh, it's a company called Triple Byte, and I'll always remember that because it was the very beginning of YC, and we were reaching out to founders in the environment. And I remember this French entrepreneur called Guillaume, who is the co-founder of Triple Byte, and he was just interested into you know helping. And you know, we talked a little bit about this uh, right before the, the podcast about like giving back, and he was really giving back. Was just like, how can I help? And I was telling him a little bit about like. Um, the product we're building and stuff. He said, yeah, after 20 minutes of conversation, uh, we were walking around and doing a walking meeting because of COVID, actually. <laughs> I remember yeah. we could go and do this. And he was telling me like, hey, you know, I think I really like what you guys are doing, but you should talk to our finance team um, because that might be interesting for them. And, you know, at that time when you don't have a customer and stuff, you're just <laughs> like so excited about it. And that was the first time that we had this really fluid um, process where the person was really interested. There was very limited requests on the product. It was not like, oh, okay, but I need this and this and this uh, to use it. It was just like, okay, let's give it a try. And uh, I remember sitting with my, sitting down with my co-founder and we were wondering if this would work and stuff, but it worked. And they were happy with the product, provided a lot of feedback. It was the first you know, massive paying user in the US and for us that paved the way on like uh, the GTM later. So it was a good story uh, that started with, you know, some um, people that are here to help because it was about giving back, uh, but then turned out to be like a, a strong ambassador of our product later, later down the road. Um, and, uh, and we were super, super happy about it. And that's a feeling that I will never forget, I guess. Yeah, no, I think that's a super interesting story. Also knowing that, you know, he's, a, he's an ambassador of your product, which always leads to a lot of references. Um, interesting thing you pointed out that, you know, you made a lot of mistakes uh, early in, in your company. Um, and, you know, you, 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 you're working as an investment banker and you, you started, this is your first startup. And especially for, for, for listeners who want to build, uh, build their own company, what are the, some of the mistakes uh, that they, sh I mean, uh, missteps should, they should be careful about and not, uh, not uh, you know, look at repeating it, especially if they are the first-time founders. Yeah, especially as first-time founders, this is something that I uh, underestimated when we started Upflow is the fact that I think that uh, second-time founders uh, have a specific edge, which is that they hmm. they've already done a couple of mistakes. Uh, and on our side, like you know, I think I, we could write a book on like all the mistakes that we made. So yeah. you know, it might take us like two hours to go down all of them. Uh, 
but I think, you know, if I had to pick one um, that could be helpful for other funders, um, one mistake that we did at the very beginning of Outflow is that I think we were too much focused on the product itself. I think it's very easy to kind of think about like talking about like what your product is going to be, uh, how great this idea, like uh, the features, how it does not exist on the market. But I think even when you interview people, you kind of lack this, um, this, this, this push that actually YC is extremely, extremely um, uh, positive about, which is actually like have your user testing your product and get this retroactive loop like as soon as possible. Don't wait for another month. Don't wait for another year. Don't wait for the next release. Just ship it. Even if the, your shipping is just actually like a, a, a just a, uh, a design or a slide or something on which or MVP that is not perfect. Don't wait for this big thing to come up because chances are that like you're building something that no one really wants. Yeah. But the only way to find out is actually like having your users uh, experiencing it, asking people if they would be willing to pay for it. You know, if you're in, especially if you're in B2B SaaS, like you, you know that you're going to have to monetize that at some point. For us, it was such an interesting moment where we actually moved out from the free product to actually having our users to actually pay because this is when they see the value. This is when they actually give you the real feedback. And overall, one my piece of advice on this is don't wait. You know, YC is telling you like, we only have three months to get to a big goal and you can make an impact because it's not going to be an impact in two months. It's going to be an impact next week. And you would be surprised to see what you can do in a week when you start thinking about like, what can I deliver next week? So that would be my number one advice because I think overall we spend too much time like uh, kind of talking about how great the product will be without having it in the ends of our users um, overall. That would be my number one mistaken advice. Hmm. Got it. Interesting. And um, and I want to talk about hiring and you know, hiring so so important in, in, in startups. Um, but but do you, do you prefer to hire uh, more senior, experienced people or young hustlers uh, with more more energy, uh, yeah. especially you know uh, if you're when you're trying to scale up your your business? Look, it's a it's a it's an interesting question, and again, it relates to um, probably some of the mistakes that you make. Right? It's uh, I think in the engineering side, like you have this saying around like you know the 10x engineer, which is uh, this this idea that like sometimes one engineer can do the work of ten others, just because um, she's like extremely good at like what she does, right? Yeah. And I think that the, the the one thing that is like the constant struggle that you have when you start your company, especially if you are in a kind of a, a VC backed hyper growth type of mode, and if it's what you want, which is not necessarily what you want, but I think the constant struggle is that you don't have time. Right, you yeah. don't have time, and no. the um, you always think that like it's going to be efficient to hire more people with you know like great hustling mind and mindset and and stuff. But the reality is that like it had so much overhead at the beginning of your company, and it takes so much time and energy to realize that you are not necessarily going in the right direction. Yeah. That if I had to. If I had to do it again, I think I would start with a much more senior team mm -hmm. just from the beginning um, rather than 
um, you know, trying to think, okay, we'll hire the senior people later on. Yeah. Because the reality is, it's like if you have a, a few of those 10x people in the room, mm-hmm. you can really achieve great things. Um, and that's something that I think would make it a difference. That being said, right, um, you have to be realistic about what you can do and what you can't do. Uh, usually the 10x people are, you know, they ask for a super high salary or super high equity, and maybe you don't have that, right? Yeah. And so I think at the end of the day, like the story of the startup is about surviving, right? You just want to make sure that like you can make it another day. And uh, and I'm not saying that like this, the only way to do this is just to assemble the best people and just uh, wait for this to happen. But if I had to do it again, I think I would be much more senior in my approach than what we did at the, in the early days of Upflow. Um, and that would be my piece of advice. Yes, interesting. That's a, that's, that's really interesting. And um, yeah, and any big you know hiring mistakes that you've done, and you know has it has it changed your approach to to team building? I think one of the mistakes that you do when you start scaling your company. I mean, yeah. we've done that a little bit. Is maybe delegating too early the the hiring, mm. and I think in general, like. Delegating is something that can be quite dangerous um, when you start going to this phase where you move from this very small core group of people. I remember when we raised the Series A flow, we were a team of 13 people. So it was really, really smooth and, you know, and intense and we all knew each other. And then suddenly, like, you know, now we are a team of 70 and, and a lot of things get diluted, right? You just like, sometimes you just, you see people in interview, but you only see them for like 20 minutes. And it's like, oh, that's the co-founder interview. That's the last step. And, you know, you just say hi, you ask for a few questions, and then you move on. Okay. And the truth is that you realize that even if your company is 70 people, like 70 people, is, it seems like, you know, a lot when you start, but it's not that much, right? You still know everyone. You still, every single function is just like three or four people in a way, right? And I think um, you should spend that time to assemble the best team because that's um, what is going to make or break your company ultimately. Like uh, I always tell the team that like, you know, when you get to post product market fit, right? It's really more about like how you scale the organization than trying to figure out like if you have a good product or good customers, you know, if you don't have them, like it's going to be the job of your team to actually find the right customers, the right pricing, answer the right question. So it's really about the team. Um, and I think like, like as founders, you should 100% spend a lot of time on interviewing and making sure that like you're not delegating this too early because little things can go off the way pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, And related to that, one of the other uh, advice that I would give to other founders, uh, and it's not my advice, it's an advice that I got from other founders that were really, really far away, like ahead of us in terms of the journey, was just making sure that you clarify your values or priority principles as early as possible. Um, because oftentimes you can think of it like, oh, these are the values, like only like the, the large companies have those. And you know, that's like the four values that are on the wall and no one really yeah. them and stuff. But the reality is that your organization is, is somehow specific and you want to make sure that people understand what is required to work in this organization and what is like things that you can bring that are totally like different, that is totally cool. But there's a couple of things on which you don't want to compromise 
and you want to make sure that these things are super clear within your group and for people that would actually join. And that would be like my piece of advice, which is also linked to the other one on which well, your role is to stay involved in this, but it's to stay involved on making sure that those operating principles apply and that they are enforced. Uh, and this has been a big part of our job at Outflow over the last couple of uh, months as we started growing the company. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions, and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Interesting. You, you talked about values uh, and, you know, knowing the principles. How, how, how do you make sure that, you know, the team understands the value? Do you, uh, do you, do you cover a few, few days, uh, few, I mean, some time during the week to talk to your leadership team about those values? How do you make sure that, you, you know, everybody in the team and understands and, you know, actually applies those values? Uh, yeah, you know, I have this, uh, I have this thing at uh, at uh, this running joke at Outflow, uh, but it's, I'm not the only one saying it. Saying that, like, yeah. as a CEO, I'm the chief repeating officer, um, <laughs> and I think you know that's at some point it becomes your job, right? When you think about those kind of like core uh, and fundamental things of your business, typically the vision, where are we going ten years from now, the operating principles, how we operate. I think it's your job to actually like make sure that like you reinforce them on a on a regular basis, and I was about to say on a daily basis. So I think if I have to answer your question, I think it's very important that like you clarify those as soon as possible. Um, this is something that I've learned the hard way as well from my previous experiences, where there was not a clear understanding of how do we want to work, um, what are the kind of uh, things that are expected from people or things that we don't tolerate, you know? So being clear on this is extremely important. It's not easy. We spent a lot of time in workshop with the team, making sure that like, it's not something that is like totally top down from the founders and just like kind of something that everyone can embrace. Uh, and then once you have clarity, which is not easy, it's about like making sure that like, this is not something that you just write on the wall and then forget about and stuff, but actually like some just things that you actually use on a day-to-day -day basis. So, for example, if you go on a carriage page at Outflow, you will see that even before you apply, you can read about our operating principles. Is that going to be as clear as when you join? Probably not, but at least you know what is expected from you, right? When you go through the interview process, there is going to be questions or specific parts of the interview that are relating to that. And when you and once you join, we train you on your on these operating principles. And then again, on a daily basis, you know, I would every time I'm giving feedback to someone and every time we are giving each other's feedback, we try to actually link this feedback to one of our operation principles because it usually comes down to something that is pretty, pretty standard. So um, I think the way to, to answer your question, I think it's a lot of um, uh, leading by example, but also repeating those like on a, on a day-to-day -day basis. And um, sometimes you feel like a little bit of a broken record, but um, mm -hmm. But I think that's my job. <laughs> that's our job as founders. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I really like how you how you mentioned team repeating. Obviously, you need to keep repeating the vision uh, to the team all all through. Uh, and you know, I've been into business development and the revenue part of it. So, so I'll, I'll uh, I'll ask about the the revenue leaders. You know, 
well, when, when do you think is the right time to hire your your first you know revenue leader or your sales leader and what what are some of the core signals to uh, to understand you hired the right person yeah that's uh, that's not an easy one um yeah. so when you talk about revenue i think you know i i don't know if you're talking about someone that is um encompassing the entire revenue function so usually for us it would be like a you know when you think about like a cro type of uh, right. of person um and you know we don't have that person currently at Overflow, right we still mm. the 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 highest person in terms of like impact we have on the revenue function is our vp of sales nice. um and he's covering like our outbound functions and our account executives so you know generating opportunities and then closing business and i think you know for us i don't know maybe i'm i'm not the right person to advise because you know maybe i you invite me again once we have a cro and uh, yeah. and we are a very successful company that went through like all the uh, the steps of like this reaching at scale but i think for us you know like if i go back to you know seed is about like having a good idea and a good potential team but not necessarily like uh, customers or anything if you get to series a it's usually when you have evidences of a product market fit like actually good companies are uh, actually using your product in a kind of a repeatable way but it's not proven yet that you can repeat that i would say that like right now we are so we at a flow we are between series a and series b uh, and it's really about like scaling this engine right it's not about figuring out like if our product um, can be used by people it's about like how can we make sure that like we have repeatable patterns and demonstrating that we have repeatable patterns to distribute it, right? So it goes like all across the funnel from going, generating opportunities, closing business, and then having a great retention on those on those accounts. My feeling of that is that as long as each of those function is not properly functioning, so meaning that we have a formula for that, the chief revenue officer it should still be the founders, right? And it's me mm. for now, right? Mm. And it's really my goal to make sure that like those functions one by one work before we hire someone that oversees like this this entire uh, this entire um, uh, function, and that I can go and retire, which is my which is my dream of like looking at the company working. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, but uh, it's just like I know that I will always be busy with uh, with the company and. There will always be things that need to be to be fixed and, and rolled, but it's that would be my approach to this. Um, and I think it's it's easy to kind of think, especially when you just raise some money, like you're gonna hire like someone that is going to solve all of your issues. The reality is that you still know a lot um, about the history and why you're building this company and how we approach like selling the product. And I think it's important that you keep your um, you know, like a, a foot on the ground and, and just making sure that you understand one. So that would be my approach. But again, I think people that are more advanced than me would have maybe other advices on when to hire a CRO. So that would be my answer. Got interesting. And um, Alex, I quickly want to the top three. What's your favorite business book? <laughs> my favorite business book is, we talked a little bit about Geek Awazaki before starting this, but I'm going yeah. to choose another another book. Um one of our operating principles at Outflow is uh, is called uh, "We radically uh, own our duties," and it's this strong uh, sense of uh, of ownership. And one book that really changed my life uh, in this is called uh, "Turn the Ship Around." 
Um, I don't know if you've read, if you've ever read that book. Um, it's a book that has been uh, written by someone in the army called uh, David Market, and oh. it's actually telling how they turned like one of the worst submarine in the uh, U.S. Uh, Marines into becoming like one of the best ones, and by not necessarily like changing the people or changing everything, but actually like turning the ship around, which means like empowering people to actually think about like what they do, what are their duties and how it created like a much more uh, powerful organization within this, within this submarine. And I really encourage you to read that book if you, if you haven't and if you're interested into building an organization. This is not necessarily like a business book, but more like a, 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 an organization uh, book um, because it's been really enlightening for me in terms of how we are building a flow uh, today um, and how I wish like a lot of people would build company because I think it's a great way for people to feel um, uh, empowered um, and, and actually more interested about their job, which is uh, sometimes I think a challenge in today's life where, you know, people take this kind of nine to five job and yeah. are not necessarily interested anymore. So um, it's been a really, really, uh, Really great book, and uh, and I highly recommend it. Now, I, I haven't read that book, but I'm definitely going to you know uh, read it, buy it, uh, and we're going to put that in the show notes. Uh, and, great. Yeah, thank thank you for sharing that. And uh, you know, if you could go back in time when when you started uh, 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 Upflow, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done things differently? I think I would have focused more on our users. You know, it's like coming back to my advice that I gave you earlier. I was like. We were too focused on our product. Um, uh, I'm not the product person at Flow, but I'm a very big fan of like well-crafted, well-designed product. Thanks. And I think like it was really the thing where we spent like weeks and months like thinking about how great the product would be and, and stuff. And we did those interviews, but I think like one of the things that we figured out in the end is that everyone wants to, everyone is happy to talk to entrepreneurs when they don't have a product and telling them how great their ideas are and yourself like you have this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy where they say oh that's great so you say yeah i know like that's my idea so it's great and then it really the reality really hits when you actually try to go back to these people with your real product and say hey do you want to do you want to use it do you want to give it a try and they say oh you know actually like i'm a little bit busy these days uh, maybe later, and then suddenly you realize that they, these people that you interviewed were really nice, but it was not necessarily like answering one of the needs, right? And having again like this uh, this strong focus, it took me a long time to realize that when we talk about product market fit, it's really like a product meeting a market, right? And you want to find this kind of fit between the two and everyone is just like yeah product market fit that's when like you know you sell your product but it's actually like finding this finding like building something people want like in a way like you know yc puts it it's so difficult so hard that this is this should be your sole focus at the beginning of your company uh, and i'm super thankful to to y combinator for that for like pushing this emphasis on really focusing on on this kind of uh uh, fit between those two uh, because I think we wouldn't be here without them and anytime I see a founder um, talking about like uh, ideas and stuff I'm always telling them like hey don't only think 
about the product, also think about like how you're going to distribute it, how you're going to be in front of your users, how are you going to collect your feedback from your uh, users as soon as possible. Um, because I think that's the most important thing when you are when you want to just get something that might be su- successful. I'm not even talking about something that will be successful, but you know when you realize that most of the startups are just failures, and because that's the reality. Uh, you realize that if you want to survive, you really need to talk to those users. So that would be my the number one thing that I would have focused on much earlier uh, in the process if I had to do it again. Mm, got it. Yeah, focus on the on the customers. Uh, uh, that's a, that's a great advice. And uh, do you have any favorite online tool? For example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom. <laughs> We're big fans of uh, of tools um, out of flow and trying to make sure that like we are as productive as we as we can. Um, so we use a, we use a lot of them and we're pretty, um, I think when people join, you know, they're always like, kind of like, oh my God, there's so many tools that I need to use. Uh, one that I've been, that has been really like a game changer in our organization. And I know that we've done that quite early is using uh, lattice. So I don't know if you were, um, yeah. if you know, know about them, it's a, a, a people management uh, type of software where there's a lot of different thing in there. Initially we had, like we hired uh, Lattice for the 360 reviews because we invest a lot in how we communicate and how we give feedback to each other. Uh, but I think it's been key for us in um, especially like implementing like OKRs. So, you know, this objective key result methodology that is always like a kind of a, a great idea. But if you don't have the right tool to actually implement it, it's just like, it just doesn't work. Um, and for us, it's really been a game changer. And I highly encourage uh, people, that is being one of them and there's others, but um, uh, thinking about like using this type of software to when your team starts scaling a little bit. I remember when we had our OKRs on Post-it on the wall, when we were the five or six of them, that worked really well, but it doesn't work when your team is just hitting like 30, 40, 50 people, when you have full remote people. And it really helped us achieving like clarity around our goals as an organization. Um, and it's been, uh, it's really been a game changer for us. So kudos to uh, the team at Lattice and, uh, and a good piece of advice that I can share with others. Awesome. Yeah. No, I've heard about Lattice uh, and, you know, it's a great tool. I'm going to put it on the show notes. Um, uh, Alex, what are the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Upflow? I think, you know, I'm trying to be, uh, I'm also a big fan of Superhuman and the uh, Inbox Zero methodology. So, yeah, I receive like tons of emails, but you can send me an email and I'll, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll get back to you. Um, I'm trying to give back as much as I can. I'm not saying that I can uh, give back for on anything, but uh, you can just reach uh, reach out to me at alex at upflow.io. Uh, not too much on LinkedIn. I'm trying to get like I'm, a, I'm an email person, so um, the the email uh, the email version is the best way to to reach out. Got it. Got it. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, alex, thank you so much for taking your time speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thank you so much, Ryan, for having me. And I hope this was helpful for uh, for others. And uh, again, if you if there's any follow-up questions or anything on which we can help, uh, please uh, please reach out and uh, and good luck with your podcast. And thank you for taking the time to share the stories. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.